Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Are you sure? Nice. Good to see you in the house this morning. Anybody come hungry today? Hungry for the Word of God? Where are all you spiritual people at today? Nice. Yeah, come on. We're excited to be in the house of God today. I hope that when you came in, you got your emblems of communion as you came through the doors. If not, we'll give you an opportunity to have those here in just a little bit because we're going to be partaking of communion today, but we're excited that you're here. We're continuing our series called Devoted. This is the series that we're using to kick off this year, and really our theme for the year is choosing to be devoted to Christ and really following in the ways of the early church. And so we're jumping into some teaching about that throughout this month, and today I have the privilege of getting to continue this series, and today we're going to talk about the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. I know that that might not be a topic that you've ever gotten into before or heard a whole lot of preaching or teaching about in church, but today we're going to talk a little bit about it and find out what the spiritual significance is of that from Acts chapter 2, because Acts chapter 2, of course, is the text from which we began this series. It's our key text, and it says in Acts 2.42 that they continued steadfastly, more specifically in the NIV, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we're going to read that verse again in just a moment, but it's from this verse, from this key text that we get our theme devoted for this year. And really, this verse points out four things that the early church devoted themselves to. And what we're talking about in this series is not just why it was significant for them, but why it's still significant for us today. So I want to invite you to jump in with me to Acts 2 this morning, and we're going to read one of the key verses that we find in the text And then a few moments later, we're going to actually look at another verse later on in Acts 2 that helps us to understand this. Again, it says in Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly or devoted themselves in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, over the course of this month, we're talking about these four things that the early church believers devoted themselves to. And when we started out, we started talking about the apostles' teaching, and of course last week about fellowship. But it's an interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today because the breaking of bread might not sound all that spiritual to all of us. See, three of these four practices sound spiritual, and we tend to understand them pretty easily. As Christians, we need a standard for teaching that will show us how to live as Jesus commanded, from those whom he commanded. So therefore, the apostles' teaching was very important. We talked about that in the second week of this series. But not only that, in order to be strengthened and encouraged in this new life, we need community and to, and to give to and receive from. So of course, fellowship is vital in the life of every believer. And if you want to live well for God, it's healthy to talk to God and to hear from God. So next week, we're going to be talking about prayer and why it's valuable to the life of every single Christian. And it's easy for us to understand why three of these four things that the early church devoted themselves to are spiritual. But of the four things they devoted themselves to, there is one thing that stands out from the others that demands a little bit more explanation. Because in the breaking of bread, it isn't quite as easy for us to see why this was a spiritual practice, why it was spiritually significant. Of course, we all know as human beings, if you're a human being, would you just raise your hand real quick? Okay, that's all of us. We know that as human beings, we all need to eat. That seems pretty obvious, kind of an obvious reason why the early church 
would have devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We need physical nourishment. We need to be physically fed. But when Acts 2 says that the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, what exactly does that mean? Does it just mean that they ate food together? Surely there's got to be a deeper and more significant meaning behind the breaking of bread. And I want to just take a couple of moments here, and I want to just refer back to the way the early church and church historians, church fathers kind of viewed the breaking of bread from the beginning in Acts 2 all the way throughout the New Testament scriptures. There's really two understandings of what the breaking of bread meant. First of all, as we just mentioned, the breaking of bread is the common practice of gathering around tables and sharing meals. Sounds pretty practical, sounds pretty simple. But secondly, the breaking of bread also in the New Testament scripture is referring to the partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper, or as you might know it from your background, the Eucharist, the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, communion. If you know it as the Eucharist, that's an interesting word because it seems to be used a whole lot more even in the evangelical and Protestant world. The word word Eucharist in the Greek, it literally just means thanksgiving. The partaking of the Lord's Supper communion, giving thanks to God for sending Jesus for us. So again, I want to ask the question, does the breaking of bread mean just eating together or does it mean holy communion? The answer to both of these questions is yes. The breaking of bread is really indicative of both pictures in both scenes. So let's take a moment and talk about just the practical and spiritual value of the breaking of bread and sharing meals together as believers. Now, I told you we were going to read a little bit further in Acts chapter 2. We just read Acts 2.42. Go four verses down and look at Acts 2.46. Because Acts 2.46 shows us something really significant, both practically and spiritually. It says in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord, which really means one mind, one heart, one spirit, in the temple, and notice these words, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food, they ate their food, they ate their food. That sounds pretty simple. It doesn't even sound all that spiritual, but how did they do it? They did it with gladness, and simplicity of heart. And it's right here in this verse that we see the practical and the spiritual side of the breaking of bread. And I want to explain this to you a little bit further. You see, practically speaking, they broke bread from house to house and ate their food with gladness. And all of us eat, we relate to this so easily. We relate to the the gathering of a table. But you see, this verse alone shows us that the early church placed great value on simply sharing time and sharing tables. And as we established earlier, everyone needs to eat. We all know that. Everyone must be fed physically to survive. But the descriptions of gathering around tables and breaking bread that we see in the early church actually paint a picture of the shared human experiences that we all have in common when we gather together around tables. And this is a beautiful thing that we're talking about right now when it comes to the gathering and breaking of bread around tables. Because it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've come from, what your background is, your ethnicity, your race, the color of your skin, your socioeconomic condition. As human beings, all of us have to come to the table at some point because the table represents shared human experiences. 
And so when we see this in the New Testament, it was a picture of bringing different people together around a common cause. And I want to explain a little bit further if I can. Let's just talk practically for a moment about the breaking of bread or for a moment about the gathering around tables. What does the table represent? Just three practical thoughts about what a table represents. First of all, number one, a table is a place of nourishment. A table is a place of nourishment. As we said, we all need nourishment. And when we gather around any table with anyone, that table represents a place where we acknowledge our common needs. No matter how self-sufficient we might think we are, no matter how poor or prosperous we appear to be, no matter how put together or falling apart our lives may seem, the table is a place that we come to and recognize that we all have needs. Can I tell you something today? You are needy. I am needy. God created us a little bit needy. And when we gather around a table, it's this common place of shared experiences where we recognize that all of us have needs. And since we all have needs, we're recognizing the, t- the table is a place of nourishment where we get the thing that we need, but we don't just do it alone. We do it together. The table is a place of nourishment. But secondly, the table is a place of rest. You see, we all need rest and a break from our labor. The table is a place where all can come in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our pursuits, in the midst of our successes, in the midst of our struggles. We can come and push pause on the pressure and the pace of our lives and for a few brief moments find rest for our weariness. Rest not just for our bodies but rest for our souls because everyone needs rest and the table represents a resting place. When we see that in Scripture, we have to understand everything that the table represented on a very practical level. But thirdly and finally, what the table represents, a table represents a place of sharing. The table is a place of sharing. When we gather around tables in community, we don't just share food. We share our stories and we share our experiences. We share our joys and we share our sorrows. We share our obstacles and we share our opportunities. We speak to share and we listen to receive. We all have something to give and all have so much we need to receive. And that great exchange takes place around tables because tables are a place of sharing. And those are just simple, practical thoughts about what a table represents in a very practical way every time we see it in Scripture. All of these are pictures of tables frequently uniting us in the shared experiences of human life. We all bring the things we have in common to the table. But I want to go back to Acts 2.46. We read it just a moment ago, and it talked about sharing food from house to house in simplicity of heart and with gladness. We talked about that, but I want to put the focus somewhere else and not just look at the practical side of the table and the breaking of bread. I want to take a moment, and I want to look now at the spiritual side of the breaking of bread and understand it from the New Testament scriptures. Notice again, Acts 2.46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they, everybody say they, they, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see, perhaps the most important word that we see in Acts 2.46 in this picture of shared tables is not the word bread or food or gladness or simplicity, but rather the word or the pronoun they. 
Because they speaks of who it was that was gathering around these tables. You see, the they that this verse is referring to is the early church believers. It's not referring to all the people of Jerusalem. It's not referring to all of the people of the Jewish faith that lived in that general area. It's not referring to all of the onlookers and observers of this new explosive thing that was happening in the early church. It was referring specifically to those who had put faith in Jesus Christ, the first century early church believers. In other words, the context of this entire passage is not just a general group of people, but those who had made a spiritual decision to follow Jesus. They were different. They were called out. They were set apart. And in their gathering, they were declaring that their community was not of this world. They were members of a different community, a spiritual community. And they were also members of one another. I'll say it again. Acts 2.46 says a lot about the breaking of bread, simplicity and gladness and all the things that they did going house to house and having community together. Perhaps the, but perhaps the most important word we see there is the word they because it's talking about a called out different group of people, those who had made the decision to make Jesus their Lord and their Savior. Can I tell you something today, church? You and I, if we call ourselves Christians, as members of the body of Christ, of the church of Jesus Christ, we're different. We're not like the world. When we gather around tables, when we gather together like this, we have different things to be thankful for. We have different things to celebrate. God has set us apart. He's, he's, he's made us different. He's sanctifying us from the world because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we gather, we're not like the world around us. We're different. We're set apart. Scripture says that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're God's special people. And when Scripture talks about these people that gathered around tables, it wasn't just speaking about all the general observers in the community. It was talking about those who had put faith in Christ. So suddenly, the breaking of bread becomes incredibly spiritual. Now I want to go a step further and tie these things together because as we look further in Scripture, what we see is that the practical side of the breaking of bread in Scripture and the spiritual side of the breaking of bread in Scripture begin to overlap and the lines get blurred a little bit. And are we still talking about eating together or are we talking about the Lord's Supper? I think perhaps the most significant thing that really the Scriptures are telling us about are our gatherings and what we celebrate as believers. The Apostle Paul helps us to understand this so much better in his writings in 1 Corinthians. When you look at 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking to a church that's really struggling with idolatry. People, Christians who have made things their God, and suddenly idolatry is making its way into their life. And Paul jumps in, and he uses a really interesting example, and it's the first place in all of the New Testament that we see the word communion pop up. I want to show this to you in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 16, Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What's he referring to? What we call Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the bread being representative of the body of Christ, the blood being representative of the blood of Christ. Excuse me, the the cup being representative of the blood of Christ. He goes on and he says, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake 
of that one and bread. And what he's really talking about here is how we are all members of one another because we are the body of Christ. But what's interesting to me is that in verse 16, you see this word communion suddenly pop up. The word communion only appears four times in all of the New Testament. So when I come to church and we partake of communion together, when I see that cup, when I see that little wafer, I look at it and the first word I think of is communion. That word's only in the New Testament scripture four times when the translators translated the original writings. And what's interesting about it is that the word that we see behind this word communion in the original Greek is the word koinonia or koinonia, however you'd like to pronounce it. And most of the time when you see the word koinonia in the New Testament, it's not translated as communion, it's translated as fellowship. And suddenly we begin to see this overlap taking place in the way that Paul is presenting the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper communion. See, it's a holy sacrament. We partake of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood, but it's not just that. It's something that we do together because this table is different than the other tables of this life. This table is different than the other tables of this world. When we gather around this table, we are in fellowship with one another, and we are in fellowship with everything that Jesus has done for us. And so we see this word communion, and there's the overlap between the practical, the breaking of bread, and the spiritual, the communion with each other and with Christ. You see, Paul wants us to understand that when we as believers gather and break bread together, we don't do it the same way that the world does it because we are a people not of this world. Our gathering is fellowship. Our gathering is spiritual. And when we break bread together, we don't just share food. We share covenant meals at covenant tables because we are covenant people and we are different. We're different than the world around us. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ. And can I tell you today, we're different. We're different than the world around us. We are called out. The literal meaning of church, ecclesia in the Greek means those who are called out. Called out of what? Called out of the darkness of this world into marvelous light and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're covenant people. That's the first time that we've use the word covenant today, and I think it's important that we take a moment and talk about covenant. Because when Jesus introduced to us this thing that we call communion or the Lord's Supper, he threw in this very important word, and that's the word covenant. We see it in the various gospels, but I want to read to you today from Matthew chapter 26, because I like the way that this reads. This is talking about just before the Passover, there's been a Passover meal prepared there's the, un- the ceremony of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Jesus invites his disciples to gather with him in this upper room on the same night that he's going to be betrayed. And Jesus gathers with his disciples, and what's so interesting about this is that they were already going to be celebrating or partaking in this Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were already going to be acknowledging the Pasto- Passover festival that was coming, but suddenly Jesus takes them from something they were going to practically do into something that was new and now deeper in a very, very spiritual way. Look at Matthew 26 and verse 26. And as they were eating... Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take it and eat this for this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them. Drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood. Notice these words, the blood of a new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And in this moment, Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples that what he is about to go and do through his death on the cross is going to be the very thing that will bring remission of sins into their life. And this, this cup and this bread, these two things are symbolic of everything Jesus is about to do. And I look at this picture and I'm blown away because I wonder if the disciples fully understood everything that Jesus was trying to communicate to them. Because it's in this moment Jesus is inviting the disciples into a new covenant, a new deal, a new agreement with God Almighty for the remission of their sins and peace with God in their life and in the life that is to come. He's inviting them into a new life and a new spiritual experience. And if we pause and we think about this moment and this table, I wonder if the disciples fully understood everything that Jesus was inviting them into. Right here I stop and I think about everything we know from Scripture, all the things, if you're like me and you've grown up in church, all the things that we've been taught about what the cross represents. Jesus said it right there that the cup is representative of his blood. It's the blood of a new covenant for the remission of sins. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed white as snow. But not only that, there's so much more that's a part of this atonement, if you will. I want you to stop and think about this with me for just a minute because I wonder if in this moment when Jesus invited the disciples to that table, if they were conscious as we would be today of Isaiah 53. This is a passage of scripture that we refer to a lot around Good Friday or Easter because it's symbolic prophetically of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I find myself wondering when I look back on everything that Jesus did for me, did the disciples in that moment as they simply sat and broke bread with Jesus, did they understand everything Jesus was inviting them into? Because you look again at Isaiah 53 and you see that the word transgressions in the original writings, it literally means our rebellions. When you see the word iniquities, he was bruised for our iniquities. That literally means our perversity, our depravity, And our guilt, the guilt of sin that sat upon my life, Jesus was bruised so that that could be removed from me. And that's what he was inviting the disciples into. It says the chastisement of our peace or for our peace was upon him. That word chastisement, it literally means the disciplining or correction that we deserved was placed upon Jesus so that we could have the peace that Jesus deserved because he was sinless. Did the disciples understand? And then when it goes on and says, by his stripes, we are healed. It literally means by his wounds and by his bruises, I am healed. See, when I think about that picture, the paradox is crazy because Jesus was wounded. Jesus was bruised. And he is the one who deserved healing. But because he took my bruise, because he took my wounds and he took my punishment, somehow I get to walk away with healing? Did the disciples know that that's what Jesus was inviting them into when he invited them to simply sit down 
and break bread? Did they know? Did they understand? How can that be? See, when we read these words and consider everything the table of the Lord represented that night that Jesus was betrayed, I personally find myself humbled to think that God would reserve a place for me at that table. Just stop and think, can you believe that God would reserve a place for you at that table in the midst of your guilt, in the midst of my guilt, in the midst of my depravity, that God would reserve, that Christ would reserve a place for me at that table? How can it be? How can it be that in the midst of my rebellion there's a place for me at this table? How can it be that in the midst of my perversity and depravity and guilt, there's a place for me at this table? How can it be that when I deserve discipline and correction for my sin, when I deserved wounds and bruises for my sin, Jesus would take my place, die for me, turn around, and still invite me and reserve a place for me at that table? How, how can it be? Did the disciples know everything Jesus was inviting them into that night? How could it be? You see, when we gather around tables as believers, we don't just partake of natural food. We partake in the fellowship of Christ and the fellowship of the body of Christ because our tables are different. Our bread is different. And when the early church gathered to break bread, it wasn't just significant for them then. It is still significant for us today. And I know I'm pretty fired up right now and passionate today, but I stop and I think about the disciples and everything that Jesus invited them into. Did they know? Did they know the depth of that moment, this moment that seemed so practical? Did they understand just how deep and spiritual this moment really was? Because Jesus wasn't just inviting them to come and take their seat at a table. He was inviting them into the newness of life. He was inviting them into forgiveness. He was inviting them into the remission of sin. He was inviting them into healing. And can I say very, very briefly, when we read Isaiah 53, there are so many of us as believers that we read that verse and we understand, yes, Jesus, you know, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. But we stop right there and we tend to believe that God could forgive our sins at the cross, but we sometimes don't believe that Jesus also healed us at the cross. Can I tell you today that the same healing power that was alive then and that made, was made available at the cross is still available to us today because everything that Jesus did at the cross then is still available now in our lives. Can somebody say amen to that? We're going to partake of communion in just a few minutes, but this is the closing part of my message. I feel like I've gone really fast today. You guys know me, I probably go a little bit long most of the time. You know, as I was preparing this week, I couldn't help but reflect upon the tables that I grew up gathering around, especially my family table. And one of the questions that we find ourselves asking when we look at this picture of the breaking of bread is, again, is it just a practical eating together or is it the Lord's Supper? And there's these strange overlaps where it feels like the lines are kind of blurred. Is it talking about just communion or all of us as Christians gathering around tables together? But I think the picture, if we look a little bit closer, that we'll see is that the breaking of bread in communion, holy communion, the Lord's Supper, was something that took place very, very frequently 
at tables between the believers. It wasn't just on their gatherings as a complete assembled church. It was also in their individual gatherings as individual believers. And when I stop and I think about that for a moment, it reminds me of the tables that I grew up around as a kid. I remember multiple times when I was growing up and I would sit down with my family and perhaps there was a need in our family. Perhaps there was something big that was going on in our lives or in our church. Perhaps there was something huge that was going on in the lives of one of our friends or family members. And our family, because we were all individual believers, would come together And even though we weren't the whole assembled church, we were all individually and then put together the church in our home. We would come together and we would partake of the Lord's Supper. And as I look back and I reflect upon that, it reminds me that our tables as believers, they're different. They're consecrated covenant tables. I remember last year, Sometime before Easter, Pastor Gary preached one of my favorite messages that I've ever heard him preach, and I've referred to it a couple of times over the last few months. He talked about the two sides of the cross. See, before we come to Jesus, we can gather around the table with anybody we want. We can break bread. We can eat together. We can exchange conversation, exchange goods, whatever it might be. But then when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and everything changes in our life, we get to the other side of the cross and suddenly our tables are different. They're not just community tables, they're covenant tables. Pastor Gary and I were talking the other day about how sometimes we can meet people for lunch, you have a lunch appointment, and it's funny how sometimes people get around you as a pastor and they get a little bit shy about praying. And I don't mean that at all as a put down or to make anybody nervous or uncomfortable. I grew up in a pastor's home, so some of you are probably like, yeah, well, it's easy for you to know how to pray. You had like a professional Christian in your house. (laughs) And I know sometimes when we come to the table of the Lord, it's one of the easiest things that we can think of to think about saying grace, offering thanks, saying a quick prayer. And I know some of us, we might not feel like we have the right words or eloquent words for that moment. Sometimes we have simple words. But it's interesting how sometimes we can sit down with people and they'll very quickly, as soon as the food comes to the table, like, should we offer thanks? They're like, oh, yeah, 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 you you, you go ahead and do that. (laughs) Because they're a little bit nervous to pray. But I got to be honest with you. I remember when I was growing up and we gathered around tables like this. That was where I learned how to pray. Because it wasn't just, Lord Jesus, help this food to not make us sick. Thanks, amen. It wasn't just that. It was reaching over with my brother, with my mom, with my dad, and holding hands and listening to my dad say, Father, thank you for the provision that you've given us. Thank you that everything we have in this life is a gift to us from you. Thank you that what you did at the cross provides everything for us that we will ever need in life. Thank you that we can consume this food in faith and in confidence knowing that you're looking out for us. Thank you that we can go forward in faith. If there's any other need that's that's represented there at that table, we would pray about those things too because we recognize it was as if there was a cross as the centerpiece of that table that said this isn't just a community table or a family table. This is a covenant table, and this table is different. 
And an amazing thing happens when one family of believers starts to get with another family of believers, breaking bread together, going from house to house, because what you understand is that suddenly your walk with God is strengthened and totally encouraged because you sit down and somebody gives you perspective on your life based upon the covenant table that you've gathered around. I love it when I sit down with somebody and they start to pray out loud and you recognize, oh, this is a different kind of prayer. This is a covenant prayer right here. This is somebody that knows Jesus. So you can go to lunch wherever you want today and you can enjoy it. You can go to a community place and have a really good time, but something different happens when we sit down at covenant tables and encourage one another and celebrate everything that God has done for us in this life. Thinking about that, I want to say it one more time. When we come to the table, we have to stop and recognize that we have provision because of this new covenant that we have with Jesus. We have healing because of this new covenant that we have with Jesus. We have purpose because of this new covenant that we have with Jesus. And we have hope in this life because of the new covenant we have with Jesus. And not only that, we have hope for all of eternity because of this new covenant that we have with Jesus. When I think about my guilt, my transgressions, my iniquities, how, how can it be? that Jesus would lay his life down for me, rise again, and offer me a seat at the table. I'm so undeserving, yet he invites me. Today we're gonna come to the table of the Lord and we're gonna celebrate as covenant people everything that he has done for us. And I'm gonna ask everybody in the house right now if you would stand to your feet. The team's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song. And we're gonna take a moment and just reflect firstly on everything that Jesus did for us on the cross. But I want to ask everybody in the house today, if just in a moment of humility, can you just stop and consider what an amazing invitation it is that God would invite us to the table of Christ? Us, a people so broken, so sinful, so undeserving, would invite us to his table. I want to say to everybody in the house this morning before we sing this song, There's a place for you at the table of the Lord. He invites you, but he first wants you to receive everything that Jesus has done for you so that you can properly take your place at that table and find forgiveness, find peace, find wholeness, find healing for anything you might be dealing with. Before we partake, let's just come together and praise and worship this morning. Thank God for all that he's done today. Amen.
Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us up on the cross. God, when we stop and consider the fact that you would make a place for us at your table, we are humbled because we know us, we know ourselves, but yet you chose to give your life for us anyway. Thank you for giving your best in exchange for our worst. We put on your best today. We put on salvation and we choose you. With heads bowed and eyes closed right here in this moment, if you're here today, you might say, Zach, I know I'm not in relationship with God because I've never said yes to Jesus. It's in this moment I would love to invite you to say yes to him. Before we partake of communion today, I want you to know that Jesus' body was broken so that your life could be put back together. Jesus' blood was shed so that your sins 
could be forgiven and he could bring you into this covenant family, this covenant relationship reunited with our Father in heaven, our Father God. If that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. It's just a simple prayer of faith. It's not about magic words. It's just a declaration that we are putting our faith in Jesus. So Father, we thank you for all that Jesus did for us. And Jesus, today we choose you. We believe you're the Son of God. We believe that your death was full payment for our sin. But we believe you didn't just die for us. We believe that God raised you from the dead gloriously, conquering death, hell, and the grave so that we could have eternal life. Today we put our faith in you and with the words of our mouth, we declare, Jesus, you are the Lord of our life and we will choose to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And now we come to the table of the Lord. I want to invite you to take those emblems there in your hand. Scripture makes it clear that on the night Jesus was betrayed, as we read from Matthew 26, he gathered his disciples. He said, to do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. First it says that he took the bread. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. He said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Today as believers, we recognize that our lives have been put back together because the body of Christ was broken. And today we are a part of this beautiful family, family of God because the body of Christ was broken for us. He said, this cup, it's my blood, the blood of a new covenant. We get to be in a covenant relationship with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. And we first partake today of the bread together. Now would you join me and let's partake together of the cup. After you've done that, would you just lift your hands and right now in your own words, just thank God for inviting you to the table. Jesus, we thank you that you made a seat for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price we couldn't pay. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for ours. And we thank you today, Jesus, that we now get to be partakers of your new eternal life because of that sacrifice. Thank you for making a place for us at your table. Today we take our seat and with humility, with gratitude in our hearts, we say thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, is anybody grateful for what Jesus has done for you today? All right, listen, before we go, this is a very important moment, okay? So hang tight for just a sec. If you're here today and you made a decision to follow Jesus, that might be the very, that might, that might be, it is the most important decision you could ever make in life to choose to follow Jesus. And right now we're pausing, right now we're pausing in this moment because we want to let you know how it is that we can help you take your next steps of faith, okay? As soon as service is over, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we're going to have prayer teams right down here. 
near the front of the platform. We'll also have a team outside right between the glass doors at the info center. You can come up to any one of them. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to put a little gift in your hand. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's just a simple book that will help you get started in your journey of faith because we feel like it's our responsibility to help you walk this thing out successfully. We are so glad you made that decision and we would love to put this gift in your hands. Hey, Bridge family, can we put our hands together and welcome some people into the family of God today? You know, this might also be a good opportunity to gather around a table with somebody today who's in fellowship with God at lunch. Invite somebody, gather around table, celebrate what God has done for you in your life. We love you. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We'll see you in the house next weekend. God bless you.